Good morning. It's good to see each one here this morning. Today we begin our study series uh, that we've entitled Worthy to Suffer. It's a study about persecution of God's people in the past and present and what we might expect in the future. This topic was suggested to me, and I think that it's a very relevant and timely subject because we continue to witness some very disturbing changes in our society that very well may cause persecution of the righteous to escalate and intensify. But uh, we begin this morning uh, by emphasizing that God's people, the righteous, have always been persecuted from the beginning. And that's the title of our first lesson uh, as we begin with this morning, is having to do with the statement that the Lord made concerning Abel, that from the blood of Abel, the righteous have been persecuted. And we want to look at that persecution from uh, the foundation of the world through the first century this morning. So as we look at this, we define, first of all, what we're talking about when we think about persecution. When we think about persecution that in our study, we're talking about any hostility experienced from the world as a result of one's identification as a disciple of the Lord. And that is a wide range of things. It's not just being scourged or, or facing death, but it could be verbal harassment. It could be discrimination in education, uh, in employment, or in the workplace, or in the, in the marketplace, in buying or selling of goods. It can be legal prosecution. It also could be scourging or beatings, physical torture or confinement or imprisonment. It would include rape or slavery or even death. And many have died by many torturous means. So this is what we're talking about when we're talking about persecution. We've not seen a lot of that in our lifetime in our country. But we need not be uh, thinking that it hadn't taken place throughout the world throughout time. Jesus makes this statement uh, saying concerning the people of his time. They had persecuted and were persecuting him. They would eventually crucify him. Jesus was completely righteous. And all those who would stand to be righteous are going to be persecuted. Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there are none that are righteous, no, not one. You say, well, why do you have to worry about the righteous being persecuted? Well, no, none of us are truly righteous. There's only been one who is completely righteous, and that's Jesus. And you can imagine if the wicked persecute the righteous, we try to think about what was done to Jesus because he was completely and perfectly righteous. But we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 that God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When we come to serve God and be a disciple of the Lord, then we become righteous. We are reckoned as righteous. We don't deserve that, but God through his mercy has allowed us to be righteous. And if we strive to, to be righteous in the sight of God, strive to follow the example of his son, then we too will face persecution. We see that it's taken place from the foundation of the world. Passage that was read to us by Jeff, Jesus was talking to the religious people of his day. You know, it can come from any quarter. It doesn't just come from those who don't believe in God and those who uh, completely reject his word. It may be from those who do some of the things he says, just like the scribes and the Pharisees whom Jesus was here talking to, those who were the righteous elite of his day. And yet they looked down upon Jesus because their righteousness wasn't true righteousness. And when he pointed out what true righteousness was and condemned them, 
They couldn't stand it, and therefore they hated it. Those who are truly not righteous will hate those who are righteous. And Jesus said it's been that way from the beginning, that the Lord sent them the prophets and they persecuted them. You remember uh, the parallel passage of this in Luke chapter eight, uh, 11 and verse 48. He said, For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send them the prophets and the apostles, and some of them uh, will, they will kill, and some they will persecute. So that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged to get this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Or as the version or the passage that Jeff read to us from Matthew said, from, from righteous Abel all the way to Zechariah. And what's Jesus talking about there? Why did he just use that as a bracket? As from uh, Abel to Zechariah. Well, in the Hebrew Bible, it begins, of course, with Genesis. The Hebrew Old Testament would end with Second Chronicles. That's the way their uh, gathering of the of the scriptures was. So really Jesus saying from the beginning unto the end you have uh, persecuted those who are righteous. And so you got Abel there at the foundation of the world as he said and then you've got Zechariah where his persecution as we'll look at is recorded in the in the book of uh, Second Chronicles. But you think about it. The righteous, the people of God and that's who the righteous are. The people of God have always been persecuted. That ought to tell us something. It all the causes, we're going to look at, hopefully Monday night, we're going to look at the fact that we ought not be surprised. Abel was persecuted. In fact, Abel was murdered. Why was he murdered? You look at that story about Abel, and you find that Abel was murdered because he was doing what was right, and Cain, being evil, hated his brother's righteousness. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, you look over at First John chapter 3, verse 12. It tells us, here's divine commentary on why Abel was murdered. He said, Cain, who was of the evil one, slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him? He says, because his deeds were evil and his brother's was righteous. He says, therefore, do not be surprised if the world hates you. If you're striving to do what's righteous, those who are evil hate those who are doing what's right. Because it exposes what they do. Cain offered what Cain wanted. Abel offered what God wanted. You say, well, how do you know that? I've heard some people say that, that uh, it was just a bad attitude that Cain had. Well, he had a bad attitude, but his attitude was such that he didn't obey God. We don't have recorded what God told them to do, but it's implied that he told them what to do. Because we read in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4 that it was by faith that Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. How was he righteous, Abel? Well, because he was striving to do what was right. That's what righteousness is. It's doing what's right. God is completely righteous and we must follow his will to do what's right. And when we do that, it's going to bring conflict. This conflict is started from the beginning. You go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. God foretold of this conflict when He cursed Satan in the garden, the fall of man. He said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That's a tremendous statement. has a lot to do with what we're studying about all this in this whole series. Here you see the ultimate victory that would come by the seed of woman, which we know to be the Christ. He would crush or bruise the head of Satan. 
He would bring down his power. But in this, we also see the long continued struggle between these two seeds. Here's the two seeds in the world. There'll be a final victory, but there's a continued struggle. It's very important to our study. There's always been a struggle between Satan and God, and Satan uses all the forces in this world. He's the prince of this world, and he uses the forces of those who will be on his side, those who are wicked, those who won't come to God's side and strive to be righteous, and the conflict began there at the foundation of the world with righteous Abel and his life. Why did his brother slain? He said because his deeds were evil and his brother's was righteous. And he said we need to learn from that and don't be surprised if the world hates us. If we strive to be righteous, then we may very well face that conflict. We're in a conflict. Paul described it in Ephesians chapter 6, didn't he? He said it's a conflict that's not of this flesh, but he said it's a spiritual conflict. He said there that it's with the world forces of this darkness and the heavenly places, not with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Who's behind that? Satan's behind it. And he was behind what was done to Abel through the actions of Cain. It's been that way all through the Bible. You look at Job. Job, what kind of man was he? He was a good man. He was a righteous man. Doesn't mean he was a perfect man, but he's a man who was striving to do what's right in the eyes of God. Job 1 verse 1 says he was blameless, upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. That's a righteous man. And what did he face? Well, his, his name, Job, it means object of hostility. That's what he faced. He became subject of persecution. He even received it from his own family. You remember who was behind it. You look at Job chapter 1 and verse 8. Satan had asked to test Job. Satan's behind it. And he used even his wife. You remember his wife told him, said, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Chapter 2 and verse 9. Persecution. It's hard to hear that from your family. Isn't it? You know, everybody else can turn against you, but at least sometimes you've got your family. They'll stand by you. They'll encourage you. Job didn't have that. And even his best friends, what did they do? You look over at chapter 19, verse 22, they had turned against him and come to the conclusion that he must deserve what had befallen him. And Job said, why do you persecute me? Are you not satisfied with my flesh? They persecuted him. You think about men like Noah. Now it doesn't mention in the Bible that Noah was persecuted, but I think by the things that we see in the Bible that it had to be implied that he was. When you look at chapter 6 and verse 5 and it says the people there that were surrounding Noah except for his family were so steeped in sin that every imagination of their heart was only evil continually. All they could think about day or night was something evil, something wrong, something wicked. There's always been a conflict. These two seeds still existed then and Satan was working against it. Here all the world and they had this Every imagination of their heart was wicked continually. And what kind of man was, was Noah? Well, he's a good man. He's a righteous man. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 tells us that he was a preacher of righteousness. Now, I want to tell you, you preach righteousness to a world that can only think of that which is evil continually. You think they hindered him? You think they mocked and jeered at him? We can only imagine what he faced. But you mark it down... The righteous have always been persecuted by those who are evil. You think about Lot. You know, 
Lot made a lot of mistakes and poor decisions in his life, like all of us. But we read in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 7 that Lot was a righteous man and that he was oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. Verse 8 says, For he saw and heard that that, that righteous man, what he heard, the righteous man while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. Tormented. And you remember the repulsive actions of the Sodomites there in Genesis chapter 19, verse 4. How that when these angels, who they appeared to them as being men who had come there, that they pressed upon his door and knocked upon his door and called out to Lot and said, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we might have relations with them. We're not the first generation to be oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled homosexuals. It's been around from the beginning of the world. And persecution comes as a result. The righteous always have been persecuted. You consider Moses. Moses, like all men, had to make a choice. A choice to either be numbered among the world or be a partaker of the temporal pleasures of this world. To be numbered among God's people and face suffering and persecution. I'll tell you, the the world won't hate you if you're not a if you're a part of them, they won't hate you. If you're conformed to the world, then they don't see you as different. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, and verse 2, not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Our lives are to be modeled after what God's will says, and when we do that, we'll be seen as righteous. We'll not be seen as like the world, but we'll be seen opposite than the world. And we've got to make that decision. Moses made that decision. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You choose to be different from the world and choose to be among God's people, you'll face ill treatment. You know, if we never face any ridicule, we need to look at our faith. We need to look at our lives. We need to ask how righteous am I striving to be? How do I conform to the world? Or am I being different from the world? You think about men like Elijah. Elijah over in 1 Kings chapter 18. When you look at men like Elijah, I think sometimes we think of these men like heroes. Of course, they were, uh, to us, as we look at their faith, we see they ought to be heroes to us in that sense, but, but they were men just like we are. And we need to understand that the things they faced were real. Persecutions they faced were real for their stand for God's truth. Elijah was a prophet, and he was persecuted in the hour that he was persecuted we may look back on him and we see his faith and we who are striving to be God's people, we see him as a hero. But I want to tell you the people then in that day who were persecuted didn't see him as a hero. Those who are persecuted are never looked at as being a hero. Those who are martyred and who have been slain for the name of Jesus Christ in the past have never been looked upon by the world as a hero. In fact, the world looks at them as the dregs of society. The world looks upon them as idiots, as fools, as bigots, as troublemakers. That's what the world looks at. That's why they persecute them. That's why they looked at Jesus. 
Why, he's just a carpenter, just from Nazareth. What good could come from Nazareth? He's a fool. We need to kill him. And they crucified him. He was the son of God. How'd they look at Elijah? Well, you look at 1 Kings 18, verse 17, when he came there in the presence of Ahab, you remember the first thing? Now, this is the king. What if you met the president? Here's a king, and he comes up to First thing he says, is it you, O troubler of Israel? He looked at, not as Elijah was a great hero, a great prophet, mouthpiece for God, he saw this was the trouble of our whole nation is in this man. He's the troubler of Israel. Ahab was wicked and also his wife Jezebel. They hated all the prophets because they showed forth the light of God. They exposed the wickedness with the truth of God and therefore they persecuted the prophets and sought to exterminate them. But it hadn't been by God's providence through men like Obadiah. You remember in 1 Kings 18 verse 4? Um, Jezebel was going to destroy the prophets of the Lord and Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided bread and water for them. God's people have always been persecuted. How do you like to hide, hide, have to hide in a cave and live off bread and water because there's a price on your head by those who run the government? Many have done it. Elijah was bold and went and called for Ahab and the prophets of Baal. And you remember the showdown on Mount Carmel and God sent fire down from heaven at the request of the prophet. Elijah and his righteous zeal for the Lord put to death 450 prophets of the prophets of Baal. 1 Kings 19 verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, about it. What had been done to her prophets, Jezebel, even her name, shows that she was of that false religion. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of them by this time tomorrow. And Elijah was afraid and he ran down to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Left his servant there. You remember how God fed him and took care of him and sustained him for 40 days on Mount Horeb. And Elijah thought he was all alone. I'm telling you, these men were men just like you and me. James says in James 5, verse 17, that he was a man of a like nature as ours. He had feelings. He was afraid, afraid of Jezebel. He doesn't mean that he wasn't a good man, wasn't striving to, he was afraid, afraid for his life. But in 1 Kings 19, verse 10, God told him uh, that he had more things in store for him. In verse 10, uh, here Elijah speaking to the Lord, and he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down the altar and killed your prophets with the sword, and I'm alone have left, and they seek to take my life away. In verse 18, God revealed to Elijah, chapter 19, verse 18, he says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel whose all knees have not bowed to Baal, nor has their mouth has not kissed him. Always remember, though the righteous are persecuted, God will see to it that they will be vindicated. But the righteous do suffer. Ahab persecuted the prophets. He did it to the end. He hated the truth. He surrounded himself with more prophets. 
You remember Micaiah over in 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 4. Micaiah wasn't a prophet. And Ahab didn't have him in his court because he didn't want to hear from him. You remember in this situation, Ahab had, had Jehoshaphat, the king from Judah, to come up there and he wanted him to go in with him in battle over to Ramoth Gilead against his enemies, trying to convince him to do that. And he says to Ahab, can't we first ask and inquire from the Lord? Well, he has all of his false prophets, the prophets of Baal, come out. And they're saying, go up, go up. One of them even made him some iron horns and he was going around goring like he said, this is what you're going to do to the enemy. Putting on this show and Jehovah had, had enough sense to know that this wasn't the truth. And he said, is there not yet one prophet of God that we can ask? And he said, well, there's Micaiah, but I hate him. The reason he hated him because he always said Something against him. And the reason was because he was against the truth and Micaiah would preach the truth and he didn't want to hear it. He said, I hate him. Went to go get him. I think the fellow was trying to do him a favor. Told him, say, now he wants you to come. Try to speak something favorable. But he was a man of God. He was going to speak the truth even if it hurt. Now, when he first went in, sarcastically, he said, well, just go up. But Ahab knew he wasn't telling him what was on his mind. He said, I, will you not tell me the truth? And he said, I'll tell you the truth. He said, you're going to go up there and you're going to be killed. You're going to be, he said, I, you're going to be, Israel's going to be just like sheep without a shepherd. You're going to be scattered everywhere. And he turned to the king and he said, I told you he never says anything good to me. Never says anything good about me. How was he treated? Well, you go back to that passage and you see in verse 24 that the one that was going around goring with those horns comes up and smacks him. Smacks him on the cheek. How did the Spirit of the Lord pass from you, uh, from me to you to, to speak? Verse 27, the king said, Put this man in prison and feed him sparingly with bread and water till I return safely. Micaiah said, If indeed you return safely, the Lord has not spoken to me. And they put him in prison. Of course, what he said come true. But that's the way the righteous are treated. Wicked men of Israel continued to persecute the righteous. You remember in Amos, Amos chapter 5 and verse 10, the days of Amos, Amos said, They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. Anybody would stand up and say what's right, anybody stand up and stand for the truth, they hate him. You see anything like that in our day and time? Can't find many people that'll stand up for the truth. But anybody will stand up for the truth, they belittle them and they try to quieten them. And if if they could kill them, they will. It's happening everywhere in this world and it has since the foundation of the world, since the blood of Abel. We can oppose the righteous. It was true then, it's true now. Amos chapter 7 and verse 10, here's the attitude of the people then. Remember the priest at Bethel sent word to Jeroboam saying Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. We're unable to endure his words. For Amos says Jeroboam will die with a sword and Israel will certainly go into the land of exile. He was just preaching what God said preach. People don't want to hear the truth. 
Verse 12, Amadiah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah, and there eat bread and do your prophesying. Get out of here. We don't want to hear you. don't want to hear it. Unrighteous don't want to hear the truth. You think about Isaiah. Isaiah was called to preach. To be a prophet, that's what they were. They were preachers of the covenant. Preachers of the old covenant. A lot of times prophets are just thought of as foretellers. But they were foretellers as much as they were foretellers. They would say, here's a covenant that you made with God, and here's what you're doing, or here's what you're not doing, and therefore here's what the Lord God says is going to come upon you. And they go back to the blessings and the curses of the covenant and say, this is what's coming. You just follow that pattern throughout the prophets as you study them. Isaiah was called by the Lord. Now Isaiah 6 and verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and, and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord, send me. He said, I'm going to send you, but they're not going to listen. I'm going to send you, but they're going to be hard-hearted. They're going to have eyes that won't see and ears that won't hear. He says they'll keep on listening, but they won't perceive. They'll keep on looking and they won't understand. Verse 10, he said, render their hearts of this people insensitive and their ears dull and their eyes dim. Chapter 30 and verse 9, you see their attitude. He'd come to them and plead with them. God sent his prophets over and over again to plead to them, to have them to repent. Same then as it was now. God's not wishing to any of them to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He wanted them to turn. And the only reason he sent the prophets to preach was because he loved them. What was their attitude? They persecuted the prophets. They didn't want to hear what he said. Verse 9 of chapter 30, he says, For this rebellious people, false sons, sons who will refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, You must not see vision, and to the prophets, You must not prophesy what's right. Speak to us pleasant words, prophesy illusions, and get out of the way. Turn aside from the path, and let us hear no more of the Holy One of Israel. Don't want to hear anything about God. You get that reaction today? Yes, we do. How many times you post an article on the internet, and if it doesn't agree with what people want to hear, you're a bigot. Don't be filling the the world with lies. We don't want to hear it. That's the reaction you get from the world. It was the same then as it is now. They rejected not only his message, but eventually, evidently, they, they murdered Isaiah. Jewish tradition tells us that he was killed by the wicked king Manasseh and that he was sawed in two. The righteous have always been persecuted. You think about the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet we call the weeping prophet. He wept over the message of doom that he had to proclaim to the people about what was going to come, captivity that was to come. Jeremiah 15 and verse 10, did did he feel any agony? Was he persecuted? He said, Woe is me, my mother to whom you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, and yet they all curse me. Why? Because he's trying to do what was right. Because he was preaching what God said. Jeremiah 20 and verse 7, I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. 
For each time I speak, they cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction because for me the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. You look at chapter 11 and the people plotted against Jeremiah to kill him. You look at Jeremiah 20 and verse 1 through 6. They took him and they put him in stocks. The priests and the prophets in the 26th chapter wanted him dead. And they were just talked out of it. and They took him and threw him in a dungeon. Chapter 37, Jonathan's house. Then chapter 38, they took him and threw him in an empty cistern. And he sank down in the mud. And it took several men later to come and pull him out. God, through his providence, enabled him to live. But he faced persecution. No wonder he's called the weeping prophet. God's people have always been persecuted. That's the message of this lesson. From the blood of Abel on, all of God's people, anybody who's righteous would be persecuted. You take your eye. We don't think about that prophet very often. But you look over at the 26th chapter and it says that he was preaching a message that was like the message of Jeremiah. And they were going to kill him. And when they, when he escaped down to Egypt, you think they'd leave him alone? No, they sent down, the king sent down even to Egypt and brought him back. In chapter 26 and verse 23, they brought Uriah from Egypt and led him to the king Jehoiakim and he slew him with a sword and cast his dead body into the burial place of the common people. Because he's preaching the same thing Jeremiah was preaching. And then there's Zechariah. The one that Jesus mentioned there in Matthew 23. Who they, it says there, stoned to death in the court of the Lord's house and he died saying may the Lord see and avenge. Now again here's a priest of God and he's there in the court of God's temple and he's preaching to the religious of his day and warning them. And what do they do? By the order of the king they stoned him to death brazenly right there in front of the house of God. And even after the captivity, there was men like Mordecai. You remember, he didn't have to come just from the religious people, he didn't come from the secular world. When you remember Haman saw this Jew that would not bow down, he won't know why he wasn't bowing down, it's because he was a Jew. He wouldn't pay homage to a man. In Esther chapter 3, verse 5, Haman saw that he neither bowed down or paid homage to him. He was filled with rage and he was disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. For they had told him that who he was and who his people were. And therefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai. Who were, he's going to destroy them throughout the kingdom. And if it had not been for the providence of God through a little orphan girl named Esther, he'd have killed them all. God's people, the righteous, have always been persecuted. It's that way when you come over in the New Testament, first century. 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You come to the New Testament, who's first one on the scene? John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. 
John came to bear witness of what? Bear witness of the light. That's what said what the apostle John said. John chapter 1 verse 7. This man came to bear witness of the light. And all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. I don't think anybody bears witness of the light. Going to have conflict from the darkness. And the darker it is, the brighter your light shines and the greater the conflict will be. And they came and harassed him. Who are you to baptize God's own people? Who are you? What, by what authority did you do this? And remember, eventually, he was cast into prison because of his preaching. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 17, Herod had sent and laid hands on John and brought him into prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, who he married. Married his brother's wife. In chapter 6 and verse 18 of Mark, it says that John used to tell Herod that it was not lawful for him to have his brother's wife, and therefore Herodias held this against him and wanted to kill him. And she couldn't because Herod feared John, knowing that he was a holy man. He was a righteous man. Herod had some fear, but didn't have enough fear. You remember the story in verse 21 through 29 tells of his murder. Uh, he had his stepdaughter there was dancing in for him and promised her anything that she wanted and Went and asked Obama what she wanted. She said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. That's what I want. And they cut his head off. They brought it to her. Persecuted for righteousness. For telling the truth. One who's completely righteous. Jesus, the Son of God, they persecuted. John chapter 1 and verse 10 says, He was in the world and the world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. Why? Because they wanted to hold on to the darkness. They wanted to hold on. He was the light. John had bore witness of him. He was the light, the life of men. But they didn't seek it. Matthew 26 and verse 66. They said he's deserving of death. And they spat in his face. And they beat him with their fists. And others slapped him. Completely righteous. Luke 23 and verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull there, they crucified him with criminals. One on his right and one on his left. He told them that that's what they'd do. They'd done it to all the ones from the righteous blood of Abel onward. And they did it to the Son of God. And they'd do it to his disciples. Jesus said, they'll hate you because they hate me. If Jesus was completely righteous and they hated him, if you follow the way of God, you're going to be striving to do what's right. And when you strive to do what's right, you'll be hated for his sake. And Peter and John were persecuted. You remember in chapter 4 and verse 3, they laid hands on them and brought them and put them into prison. On the next day, they brought them out and told them and threatened them. Persecution would be threatening. And a lot of times it starts out that way. And he threatened them, told them to preach no more in the name of Jesus. But threatening usually leads to something else. Not all the time do you have persecution to the extent that they have it as far as being martyred. But many times it intensifies and it escalates. When you come over to chapter 5, they laid hands on them again. This time God let them out. And after they had tried them, then they flogged them. They beat them. 
And it's the theme of our lesson. Those who strive and love God see this as something not to be ashamed of, but to be proud of. And they went rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus. But they were persecuted. And so was Stephen. We find the first century, this is the first martyr, here's the first one. They'd put them in prison, they'd, they'd scourged them, they'd flogged them, they'd warned them, they'd threatened them. But here, they couldn't stand any longer what was being preached. And when he preached to them and preached to them how that they were guilty of crucifying the very one, the righteous one, the holy one, they couldn't stand it anymore. He said, you had murdered the righteous one whom the prophets had foretold. And the wicked hate the righteous. And as they rushed upon him, they stoned him to death. That started a great persecution in the church at Jerusalem. And the ringleader of that was Saul, who had held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 3 Saul began ravaging the church, entering in house to house, dragging off men and women, and he was putting them into prison. How would you like somebody to come knock on your door in the middle of the night say, get up? Are you a Christian? Yes. Come with me. And they cuff you and take you and interrogate you. That's what was going on here. If you knew that was going on in Tullahoma, what would you do? Probably leave, wouldn't you? Leave for your safety. That's what they did. Caused the gospel to go everywhere. Says they went everywhere preaching the gospel. Why did they do it? Because persecution. The righteous have been persecuted from the blood of Abel forward. You find the church also being persecuted in chapter 12, especially when it talks about what they did to James. Acts 12, verse 3 verse says, Herod, king, laid hands on some who belonged to the church. It doesn't tell us how many. But he laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. Why was he doing that? Because it pleased just because it pleased the Jews. Because that was what was politically correct at the time for most of the people. That's what they wanted. Whether it was right or wrong didn't make any difference. What pleased the people, what was done. And they took these people who were Christians members of the church, and mistreated them. In fact, he went so far to take James, the brother of John, the apostle, and put him to death with a sword. And verse 3 tells us that he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Didn't matter what was right. If it pleased the Jews, was correct with the people, that's what was going to happen. Paul and Silas. They faced persecution. On many occasions, Paul faced it. Acts 14, verse 19, you remember the Jews from Lystra came over to Iconium and they stoned Paul and left him for dead. Stoned him. Left him there. Acts 16, verse 22, when Silas was with Paul, you remember the people there, Philippi, because they had lost income as a result of Paul casting out this unclean spirit from this little girl had Paul brought before the, the city authorities there and they beat them with rods and then cast them into an inner prison and put them in stocks. 
How many times Paul was persecuted? 2 Corinthians 11 verse 24 said, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Five times he received that. Why 39? Well, it was an offense to go over 40, so they'd, they'd give him 39 just so they wouldn't go over. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. Frequent journeys. Free, dangers of rivers. Dangers of robbers. Dangers of my countrymen. Dangers of the Gentiles. Dangers in cities. and Dangers in the wilderness. Dangers of the sea. Dangers of false brethren. You get the idea that he was in danger, don't you? Why? Because he's righteous. That's why. And the righteous have been persecuted from the foundation of the world. Been laboring hardships and through sleepless nights and hunger and thirst and without food and in cold and exposure. I want to tell you, the people of God have been persecuted all along. And you read a passage like Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. What did they face? They faced lions and fire. They faced sword and torture. In fact, that word torture literally means it's a word like for a drum. They'd stretch a man out like a skin on a drum and beat him to death. Beat him like a drum. That's what's behind that word. Tortured. They, were, they faced mockings and scourging and chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, sawn in two. We'll look at tonight. It's not something that has ceased. One of the persecutions back during the dark ages they'd hang a man up by his feet and they'd saw between his legs or they saw him in two they were sawn in two tempted and put to death with the sword went around with sheep skins and goat skins because they didn't have nothing else to put on destitute, afflicted ill-treated, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground Again, when God's people were persecuted, they were not looked upon as heroes. It wasn't something that was glamorous to stand for the truth. No, society hated them. They were looked on as the biggest troublemakers, idiots, have no worth for society. Kill them. Crucify them. Behead them. And he says... Men who this world is not worthy. God knows. I want to tell you, people have been persecuted from the beginning. History shows that though there may be laws in the extent and the degree of persecution, and that in some parts of the world for a time may be spared, but it's always returned. That ought to tell us something. Jesus said you will be hated by all because of my name. We need to be able to be ready for it if it comes our way. To look at it properly, realize who's behind it. I want to tell you Satan's behind it. We said persecution has been from the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel on. And we need to understand it's gone on, not only up through the first century. As we look at tonight, we'll see they predicted perilous times was to come, and they did come. And tonight we'll look at this persecution of the saints from the first century up to the present which tells us that God's people have always been persecuted. The righteous have always been persecuted. And the reason is because of the great conflict going on between God and Satan. And Satan is doing everything that he can to work against God and his people. Reminds me of Revelation 
12, where Satan, the dragon, the serpent of old, is enraged with the people of God and he continues to make war with them, those who keep the commandments and hold fast to the testimony of Jesus. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. And therefore we're warned about the things that he can do. But to remember that God is in control and that he will be victorious. God stated that from the beginning. He said this seed of woman would crush Satan. And he crushed him when he was raised from the dead. His power, he knows what his doom is. And he is enraged from that point on and will do everything that he can in his power to work against God and his people till finally God takes him and throws him into the lake that burns with fire and brimstone which is prepared for him and his angels. But till that time we will face persecution. The righteous have always faced it and they will till time ends and God does away with Satan. The good news is that we can be on the winning side. You know, the Lord tells us who the victor is going to be. Great conflict till the end. But he tells us that we can be on the side of victory. That we'll live even if we die. Like he told those in Revelation 2 and verse 10, you be faithful unto death, unto death. I'll give you a crown of life. We've got that promise. But Jesus said you're either on one side or the other. And everybody here this morning is either on the side of Satan and the wicked or you're on the side of the Lord and the righteous. One of the two. Jesus said, he who's not with me is against me. He who's not gathering scatters. What are you doing this morning in your life? You can come be on the Lord's side. Come to him obedience. Repent of your sins, be baptized into Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Won't you be a part of God's righteous? You may suffer persecution, you need to understand that. But you can know that you will have eternal life by his power. And he has all power. Romans 1 verse 4. The resurrection proved him to be the son of God with power. If you believe in him and his power, the power of his blood, won't you come right now while we stand and sing the song.